Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Here with me on the podcast today is Dr. Peter Scales. He is the author of Mental and Emotional Training for Tennis, Compete, Learn, Honor. Peter, welcome to the show. Uh, Really, really pleased to have you on. Oh, glad to be here with you, Ian. Uh, Thanks for having me. So just to give a quick introduction here, and by the way, I I should have asked you, we were just chatting a little bit before we started rolling. Would you prefer Dr. Scales or or Peter? I should have asked you before. Uh, Well, my uh, tennis players call me Coach Pete, and Peter or Pete is is perfectly fine. Awesome. Just wanted to to double check. Uh, So, Coach Pete is a PhD in developmental psychology, which uh, if you listen to the podcast, you know I'm definitely into diving beneath the surface uh, when it comes to psychological elements. So really looking forward to this conversation a lot. He spent more than 40 years conducting research on positive youth development, including what kinds of relationships, opportunities, attitudes, and skills that young people need to be resilient in the face of adversity. And he's also a certified teaching pro by the USPTA. And he's set records for his high school team that he helps to coach. So congratulations on that, coach. Thanks. (laughs) So uh, first of all, really easy question right off the bat here. Uh, Peter, I'd love to ask you, why did you write this book in the first place? You, you have uh, you know, a research career, you coach uh, a lot of tennis as well, both of which I'm sure take up a huge amount of time. You have a family. So what in the world motivated you to set aside the time and the effort and the energy to, to put this book together? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, I think like a lot of... Um, authors in the self-help or other help business, uh, I wrote a book that I wished I had been able to read when I started coaching. Um, There are a lot of books out there uh, from Tim Galway's Inner Game of Tennis to books by Jim Lair and Vic Braden and Brad Gilbert and on and on. There are a bunch of really good books on the mental game. They're almost always by really high-level former players or coaches of really high-level college powerhouse teams or pros. And while some of the things do work uh, that they recommend and that they use at those levels work for the rest of us, um, I really wanted to see something that was meant for the average, decent, pretty good, but not great player and the coaches of decent, but probably not going to make their living playing tennis type player. Um, and when I started coaching, I just kind of fell into the, the mental and emotional uh, strength emphasis because of my background as a psychologist. It was a natural uh, way to emphasize um, learning in, in tennis, uh, but I didn't have a system. I didn't have it organized. And over the years, I organized it around the motto of compete, learn, and honor, uh, which to me then gave uh, people at my level of play, my level of coaching, uh, a simple framework, but one that was pretty comprehensive for getting uh, a handle on, on the really difficult challenges to being psychologically healthy during tennis training and tennis matches when it's so easy to get, you know, unraveled. Absolutely. So let me yeah. ask you about the the subtitle, because I'm really curious. We're going to definitely dive into a lot of the specifics about the content in the book. But something I noticed right off the bat that I'm really curious about is the subtitle of the book is Compete, Learn, Honor. But the order of the content in the book is the opposite. You start with honor and then go right. to learn and then compete. What, what was the, the thinking or the reasoning behind that? Well, that's, that's completely intentional. Um, and it, it, it's, it's very much uh, analogous to what 
uh, Jose Higueras, the great player and coach for the USTA, emphasizes around learning technical skills. When people see a, a, a tennis stroke being executed, the, the last thing they see are what the hands do. The hands are moving the racket to the contact with the ball. But the very first thing that's needed are the eyes. So the order of player development uh, in the USDA's approach is eyes, feet, hands. Mm. It's reversed. Okay. And so it's the same parallel with the mental and emotional. For, for me, the honor, um, honor is the eyes. It's the foundation and acting honorably. Uh, tennis is a great sport because it, it gives us so many opportunities to either act like jerks or act honorably. Um, <laughs> That's for sure. You know, and yeah, I mean, your, your character comes out in, in good ways and, and less than good ways. Um, so, so the sport lends itself to an emphasis on being honorable and respectful, being humble. Uh, when you have those qualities, particularly humility, that allows you to learn. You, you, you are a much easier, um, more open, curious learner if you're humble, if you're focused on the process of improving more so than on uh, winning and losing as, as your primary outcomes. Mm. And, and obviously, if you're then learning more, uh, you're in a better position to compete effectively to the best of your abilities um, than if you're not open to learning. So, so for me, uh, and how I teach it, uh, honor comes first, then learn, then compete. Awesome. I love that framework. And I'd love to dive into the the humility element that you just brought up a little bit. I've I've copied a quote here from, I believe it's the the foreword. I don't remember where exactly in the book it was, but very early on, you wrote, you will see throughout this book that these suggestions will really only work if players learn to love the game more than how well they do at it. Surrender their ego yeah. to the joy and power of playing it humbly, always as a learner, always as a student of the game. So my question for you is, how can we learn to love the game more than how well we do at it? Well, I, I, I think there's a couple of things in there, Ian. And one is, uh, I, I assume, most of the people, if not all the people listening to your podcast, accessing EssentialDentist.com, already love the game. So, you know, they're, they're passionate players, uh, passionate coaches. Yes. Uh, so in, to a certain extent, it's not about how do we get players to love the game more than how they perform. They love the game. The, the trick is getting them into the habit of letting go of the, the conscious, focused uh, striving to win as an outcome. We all want to win. I mean, in my, in my opening comments to my players and my emails to parents, I said, look, we want to win. We, we've had a couple of undefeated seasons uh, in our JV program that uh, I'm the head JV coach. Uh, so we win, but our goal is not winning. Our goal is improving. Hmm. And so the, the, the path to a greater chance of winning is – is to let go of the winning and focus on the improving in the process. There's, uh, I don't know where I saw this. I, I, I know I didn't create it. I wish I had. But there's this Venn diagram, you know, circles intersecting, Venn diagrams. And, and one circle is uh, called things that matter. And the other circle is things that you can control. And then they intersect them. And there's this really small space <laughs> matter and also are things that you can control. Mm. So I, I like to remind our players um, that you have only a, a, a handful of things that you can control in a match. You do not control whether you win or lose. You control your attitude. You control your effort. You control whether you have a plan 
which includes rituals and routines and, and, and all that. Um, but you do not control the wind. You do not control if your opponent is playing lights out that day. Um, you know, those are, so you, ha you have to focus on what you can control. So, so the book and my coaching is about what can you control today in this situation? And let's focus on, um, let's focus on loving the battle and solving the puzzle that is your play today. It might be a match day. It might be a practice day, but every day presents a puzzle or a problem to solve. And if you have a problem solving or puzzle solving approach, it, it, it starts to depersonalize the things that are happening out there on the court. And it, it makes it easier to move forward without judging yourself and evaluating yourself, which is the death of enjoyment, the death of quickness and agility, the, the death of uh, being able to adjust and, and actually have a better chance of competing well. So, so that's why we focus on, on those things we can control as concrete and specific and in a kind of puzzle-solving way as possible. I love it. I love how you mm -hmm. explain the, the kind of the paradoxical nature of we, we can only start to perform at our best when we let go of that need to try to control the outcome and the need to have to win everything and kind of make that our primary focal point. So how have you gone about, I feel like in, especially in America, Western culture, youth sports quickly becomes all about the winning and I think sports in general, we've been programmed to kind of have a tight, tight hold on that framework of that's kind of the whole point is to try to be the winner. How do you go about helping your players loosen their grip on that? And how do you go about helping parents uh, loosen their grip on that as well? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I think you're right. It's, it's, it's really difficult. And it, it's not just tennis. I mean, sure. we lose. We lose, you know, tennis players um, as they get older into into high school. Uh, kids that started out loving to swing a racket and just smiling ear to ear at the racket making contact with the ball and wherever it went was fun um, to people who are just really down on themselves. And it gets to be a broader self-esteem issue if they're not feeling like they're, quote, good at it. Sure. Um, so it's, it, it, it's really tough. I've been very lucky um, in terms of parents. Uh, we have not had, maybe in, in 11, 12 years I've been doing this, I've, I've had one or two parents who were the uh, kind of stereotypical tennis parent. <laughs> um, yeah, and, 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 and they, they got past it when they understood the broader goal of, of our program. And, and the players understand it too. And, and that is that, this is not just about making you um, improve as a player. Our goal is to help you improve as a person. Mm. So it's, you know, we give a lot of lip service to character in sports particularly. But then, as you said, there's this incredible focus on winning to the point where uh, cheating is allowed, um, whether it's at, at the college levels and uh, financial and, and, you know, the, the, student-athlete um, uh, issue that we have in colleges with all the money involved in the game sure. or at a, at a less full-blown level, you know, at, at, at high school where even high school coaches uh, feel pressure to win, uh, it, it is very difficult to go against that grain and say, look, our job, particularly in, in youth sports, is to produce people who want to be physically active for the rest of their lives because that's good for them and the people that they associate with. It makes them happier, calmer, uh, friendlier people, and uh, it's good for their health. And, and maybe they'll enjoy this game uh, uh, for the rest of their lives. Uh, and, and, and that's the ultimate goal. And, and it will show them how they can be a better person while dealing with the challenges of sport. Those are the ultimate goals, and I and I think when you make that 
clear enough to people and, and repeatedly emphasize that, they do get the idea that, yes, you can also win doing this, but the, the real goal is producing improved people uh, who care about others, who care about things bigger than themselves, you know, and, and the bottom line lesson is tennis is bigger than you are. The game is more important than you are, and that's part of the reason why you can't take it so personally. I had a coach, um, you know, I started late, as, as you know from reading the book. I, I only picked up the game in my early 40s, but I still had to go through the developmental path that everybody goes through as a tennis player. Of You know, it's kind of like the five stages of grief. I mean... <laughs> You know, the bad things happen on a tennis court is denial and anger, <laughs> bargaining, Absolutely. you know, all this stuff, uh, and depression before acceptance. And I, I had a tennis teacher who has since become a, a good friend who one time when I was just kind of scowling and being frustrated, looked at me and said, you're not good enough to be that upset. <laughs> I just laughed. And it's it was so it was so true, and it just it just burst the bubble uh, of you know my feeling that I had to be so good and that winning was everything uh, just put me on a different path. So long way of long way of getting to the answer, but uh, hopefully there was something in there. Yeah, absolutely, and I'd I'd love to follow that theme a little bit deeper and apply it directly to. Our listeners today, which are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and, and beyond, and are amateur athletes that have a huge passion for the game, and they're, they're looking for ways to improve. And so a great deal of that is trying to take their habits and their mechanics and their, their technique to the next level. And yet, as they put in that work frequently, as you know, the results on a match court initially take several steps back before they they step forwards. And so how do you approach that with your players as you, as you try to help your players develop, what what would your advice be to the people listening today who have a huge love for the game? They're working hard to try to improve and they're trying to balance out that enjoyment of the process with maybe the frustration of, the competitive outcome, at least in the, in the short run? Yeah. Well, there's, there's several things. Um, one is, is it set, set some not different goals, but um, some um, supplementary goals. Okay. Um, you, you want to win, but you're uh, also now introducing a new service motion technically. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of uh, amateur players, um, certainly a lot of the, the players I coach and a lot of players um, that you mentioned uh, of rec players um, use the waiter's tray serve. Okay. So let's say they're trying to get on edge and go up and, and pronate at the end and get more control, more spin, more speed uh, in their serve. Uh, they're going to have, uh, they're going to have some um, setbacks while they're incorporating that into, into their matches, into their play. So set a goal of once every service game, you're going to use that serve, regardless of the score. Uh, that's a bold and courageous thing. You might, you might say, uh, I'll use it when I'm up 40 love. <laughs> the idea is you start incorporating these new techniques gradually. It's not wholesale. We're, you're not telling your students, I'm not telling mine, um, to abandon uh, immediately what they're doing, because that would be disastrous. Uh, we've all gotten to a certain level of comfort and performance doing it the way we do, even if it's technically incorrect. So in breaking it down, we, we want to gradually introduce the new skill um, and, and not wholesale get rid of the old. So, so one out of every four um, points, if you have a just a four-point game, you're, you're going to do the new serve. Um, try it that. So that's your goal. And you can still depend on your other one. Uh, that's one way of doing it is supplementary goals. Um, the other is in, in practice. Uh, I, one of the things that we use in the book 
uh, the principle is think during practice, feel during the match. Uh, in practice, really, really break down every movement, every technical aspect that you're working on. Do it slowly, do it with shadow swings, really take time to do it. In the match, let yourself feel. Um, try and get it out of your head and into your body, into your senses. One of the things that I recommend people do during a match to get their focus back is just smell the tennis ball. Nice. Um, <laughs> Well, because so often what happens is that the thoughts are getting into your head, and they're almost always judgment thoughts about ourselves. Um, I mean, you, you, you're doing a great job with this um, singles matrix and the tennis vision and the thoughts that different levels of players have. It's great. It's like getting into their mind. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful illustration of what goes on in, in all of our heads. And the idea is to get out of your head and into your senses as much as possible. Uh, in between points, yes, you're being thoughtful, you're, you're planning, you're adjusting. But while you're playing, you're flowing. Um, so, so I think it's a combination of get to physical things, uh, think a lot in practice, feel in the match, set, set sub-goals uh, that are not about winning but about uh, ec- uh, executing a, a new skill a certain number of times uh, during a match. Uh, and and the other thing is in the mental and emotional realm, promising yourself that you will say things like the principles in my book out loud, that you will say them out loud to yourself. Um, one of the things that I really emphasize is when you're getting ready, whether it's as a server or as a returner to start the point, or as service partner or returner's partner in doubles, say what matters is right now. Hmm. This shot point, what matters is right now. It doesn't, what matters is not the point you guys just finished. And the next set doesn't matter. What matters is this moment we're in right now. And you can shorten it to just right now. You know, signal words or trigger words, as Gigi Fernandez says right now and and just keep saying that because that focuses you on the present and on what you're doing this moment that you have a little bit of control over and it gets the thoughts out of your head so all of that will help you um, both incorporate some of the new stuff into your match and deal with the thought demons love it there's quite a bit in your book about that concept of focusing on the present moment. Why, why is that so important for, for tennis players? Well, we get really caught up, uh, I've said it several times, in judging ourselves. Uh, it's amazing how quickly uh, a, a blown overhead can turn into, I'm a worthless human being. Yeah, totally. I can relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> we, we all can. I mean, if you play tennis long enough, you can relate to that. Um, so it, it's, it's again, really important not to take it personally. Um, even, even the, the highest level, I, I thought it was something in the universe said that our conversation today was meant to be when I was, uh, 10 minutes before I'm preparing for the conversation with you today, up pops essentialtennis.com's newest <laughs> lesson today on Roger Federer's mindset. Mm. And you know, it, it's it's perfect timing because even the the highest levels, Federer, Nadal, the the highest levels of the game, Djokovic, they're constantly having to deal with nerves, with pressure, with improving something that isn't working, and the only way they can do that is to get right into the present to deal with it. They they can't worry about what just happened. They can take the data from what just happened factually uh, and, and figure out who is doing what to whom and they're not doing enough to their opponent. Their opponent is doing too much to them. Sure, that's, that's using data as facts, but they're not ruminating about what that means for their worth as a human being. Um, and, and they move quickly to recovery and to solution uh, in terms of what they can control. 
what they can do to deal with this. Uh, so it's always about uh, not getting stuck in the past, not, not getting depressed about the past, not getting anxious about the future. Somebody said, and I forget who, uh, the present is a gift, right? The meaning of the word present, like birthday present, it's a gift. The present is a gift, enjoy the gift. Um, and I, I do that sometimes on um, my in-match coaching. And, and in the coaching, that's trying to get it to your listeners. You're trying to be your own coach. Uh, once you leave the high school and college and organize tennis like that, um, most of the time when you play tennis, you're your own coach. There's no one else there to tell you what to do or to cheer you on. You're, you're your own. Uh, so I will call them over to the fence when they're having trouble in a match. And I almost never talk about technique during a match. That's usually disastrous to do that. Um, sometimes I talk about strategy. But more often than you might think, um, I tell them to smell the tennis ball. I have them look up by, look around see everybody playing, see the people in the stands, just kind of be grateful that they're out there and say, you know, it's a beautiful day to play tennis. Aren't you lucky? How lucky are you? And they laugh as if, you know, my goodness, we're getting killed. You've got to give us something. But it, it breaks the tension that they have at that moment feeling bad about themselves. Mm. And it gets it back right now. This moment, be grateful that you're out here. Be grateful that you're in this situation. You know, Billie Jean's um, thing, pressure is a privilege. You're, you're, you're lucky to be in this situation that you care enough about that it, it's making you upset. So now let's focus on the gratitude and how lucky you are and figure out what we can do to figure out what the story of this match is. What's the story? Who's doing what to whom? And what are we learning in this match that we can use, um, get it back to right now. Yeah. Awesome. I love the distinction between the past as data versus the past as judgment. I think that's super critical and, uh, you articulated that really well. And I, the next topic I was going to go to, you just kind of touched on, which is, I thought it was really smart to, to think about using the, ball smell as kind of a trigger to bring a player back into the present moment, but also uh, cut off that that desire that so many of us have to be thinking instead of feeling. What other feel triggers or elements do you, do you really encourage your, your players to, to use to bring them back into a good competitive state? Well, that's, that's a, a primary one. And, you know, looking up at the sky and just, you know, being grateful that they're healthy enough to be out there running around and, and, and playing. Uh, but anything, uh, drinking water, um, oh, feeling, a anything that feels, that, that, that focuses the senses, hmm. um, the, the sound and feel of the wind on a windy day, um, you know, stop complaining about the wind. And just focus on, A, the direction it's going in, because you've got to use that to your advantage. And, and B, just how it feels. You know, how does the sun feel? Uh, how does the water feel? How does sweat feel coming down your, your brow? The sound of the, the ball when you make a nice um, application of spin, the brushing sound, as opposed to the flop sound of a, a more flat hit. Uh, the sound of your tennis shoes on the court. Or if you're lucky enough to play on, on clay, the, the sound of the sliding, how it feels when the clay gets into your socks. And, I mean, anything, anything that allows you to, to focus on, on physical sensation. I mean, that's why people do their strings. You know, you're, most people don't hit with so much topspin that they have to actually push their strings back into position. But it's great to fix your strings to be having something physical to do and feel while hopefully you're thinking about, okay, here's my plan for the next point or talking with your doubles partner. Here's our plan for the next point. Um, but it all, it all starts with 
the, the, the physicality of our, of our senses and from smell to sight and feeling, uh, anything like that, that, uh, that you can, you can focus on, uh, how glaring the lights are if you're indoors, you know, um, that's not a great thing, but it helps to focus on, on that, on, on anything physical, what it feels like to bump up against a curtain if you're indoors in between courts. Um, and that's just part of the fun of playing is, is experiencing all these sensations. And again, that calms you down when you're focusing on the physical and it gets you to a, um, a place where you're, you're more open to gratitude and to uh, learning and to letting go of winning when you're already focusing on physical things instead of that crazy people in your head who are <laughs> arguing worthless you are because you, you know, just shank that forehand. Absolutely. Yeah. That was great. I, I love it, Coach Pete. While, while you're describing all those different sensory elements, my I couldn't help but have my video production brain take over and I'm I'm literally like seeing the the audio and the video, you know, the visual and the audio of everything that you're describing. And I think anybody who loves the game uh, kind of viscerally immediately gets taken to kind of a magical uh place of happiness and like joy when they when they hear that description because that's what kind of keeps us all coming back is just the 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 pleasure of those all those elements all wrapped up together is a really special thing for all of us so i uh, love your focus on those on those elements it, it really is and you know there's there's another thing you can do um that uh is is kind of a mind a mind trick that that you have to play on yourself sometimes uh like like telling yourself that you're you're behind when you're ahead as a way of staying focused um that you know all points are big points um and this is particularly um particularly important uh when you're you're dealing with things you can't control uh which is most of the things right and most <laughs> of the things that you can't control uh a couple of examples are you know playing pushers uh, people who consider themselves quote real tennis players um, My favorite. hate to play. <laughs> yeah, I hate playing pushers. Well, that so you hate playing people who win a lot, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> pushers win a lot, you know. They get the ball in and they make it tough for you. Um, and so you've got to tell yourself, I love playing pushers. I love it because it forces me to really tap into a different part of my game that I don't tap into as much when I'm playing somebody who just likes to bang it the way I do, you know? So you, you convince yourself or playing in the wind. Uh, it, I, my players, they start out the season not liking to play in the wind. And by the end of the season, they love playing in the wind. Because they learn that the wind is your friend. It, it can be your enemy, but it, it can be your friend. And it's fun to play in the wind. It, I mean, it gets back, you know, to what you were just saying, the, the happiness of hitting the tennis ball. Um, it, it's even more fun when the ball's just kind of flying around and you have to make quicker adjustments with your feet to get under lobs to hit decent overhead. You've got to change your service toss and, and how you stand sometimes to deal with wind or sun. So you tell yourself you love the wind and it over time, you start believing these things. And I think that's the overtime part is crucial, whether it's reverse psychologizing yourself like that, or just simply straight out repeating to yourself, you know, uh, no excuses. Improving is better than winning better goal than winning. Um, the, the 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 idea is the repetition and the mental and emotional training is no different than the technical training you you don't become a superb volleyer um by minimizing your reps at the net <laughs> you you, you want to be a good volleyer you got to get up to the net you've got to volley um and to be good mentally and emotionally as a player you've got to give yourself repetitions 
of saying these principles that are in the book and of putting them into practice in your in your play. Um, it, it's 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 only you know you you make this distinction and I quote you in the book about the difference between tips and habits. Um, you know, tips are temporary quick fixes. Habits change your outlook. They change your whole frame of reference. And it's difficult to replace old habits that you've spent your whole tennis career developing and solidifying with new habits. So it takes time. And I, 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 I saw the other day um, in the tennis server uh, online um, that, that great, uh, been around forever, Tom Veneziano's column, The Tennis Warrior, uh, in there, he was talking about how on a construction site, his analogy to this taking time thing, for months sometimes all you see is a hole in the ground. <laughs> There's a hole, right? And they're digging, digging, digging in order to get to bedrock hmm. so that when finally start putting the structure together, it's got a stable foundation. So months go by and you just see a hole and then you finally see the building. Well, you know, our better volley, our better serve, um, our understanding of better strategy, um, that's the building. But underneath, that's, that's the hole. It's all the things we're doing to tweak those things and to tweak our mental and emotional uh, strength. Uh, so it doesn't happen overnight. For a while, we're going to be the hole in the ground. And digging the bedrock, you know, but eventually the payoff is we're going to have a building that withstands earthquakes, wind, rain, pressure that is a tennis match, you know. So you've got to have habits that withstand pressure. If, 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 you're, if your new habit crumbles in the face of match pressure, then it wasn't a habit. It was just a tip. I love it. Love that analogy. That's a, that's a really... Really excellent one. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I'd love to go back a minute or two. You mentioned the pu- the dreaded pusher and <laughs> a particular psychological uh, phenomenon that tennis players experience when playing other styles that do not match up well with their own. And I'm going to quote a really short quote from your book, and I don't have a, a page number reference here, so I apologize if it's too obscure, but I have a feeling you'll probably be able to finish this uh, thought for me. You uh, made a great statement in the book. You said, there's only one way to lose a tennis match. Do you, do you know what I'm referring to? Yeah. Yeah. Your your opponent today was better than you. Can, today. you, just, can you just repeat that for my listeners, please? <laughs> yeah. The, the, the only correct answer to why you lost a tennis match today was that today your opponent was better than you. Today. Yeah, your opponent I, was better than you. If I could like, wave a magic wand and have one attitude change among tennis players, it would quite possibly be that one. I, I can't stand the, the response that I lost to a worse player than me it's like if you just look at it face value just purely as data let's see i just lost but they were worse than me it just doesn't make sense but i hear it all the time yeah yeah and that i mean that that connects back to the whole um being humble thing sure (laughs) it's 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 really hard to make a statement like that if you have an attitude of humility um, it's easy to make a statement like that if you're not being humble at that moment that you're making a statement, you know, mm. I should lose to a player like that. They're so bad. Do you, do you see how they swing the racket? <laughs> you know, you know, you can have, we tell our players is you can have the most beautiful practice strokes in the world, but a match is a competition and it's an adjust, adapt, survive thing. And we are not a sport in tennis that gets bonus points for, you know, degree of difficulty or how pretty your move was. Uh, you got to get the ball over the net one more time than your opponent, however you do it. Uh, so the best mental approach to pushers or to any other style of play that gives you a problem is to respect the heck out of them because they're, they're, they know their style. If they're good at that, Boy, you know, all, all power to them because they're, they're a tennis player is opposite the net from you who has accepted what their style is, who understands their strengths, 
and is very happy continuing to play their strengths. They're playing a relaxed, confident, competent game within their sphere. And you've got to respect that. And you've got to say, thanks for the challenge. I love <laughs> you know, I love the challenge of the wind. I love it. I love the challenge because here's the thing. I laugh. I, I apologize for laughing, but it's just so the opposite the the attitude and mentality that that players have. Well, yeah, and and as I said earlier, when I admitted my own developmental path, I mean, it certainly wasn't the attitude I had when I was a beginning tennis player. Hmm. I thought I was way better than I was. Sure, you know, and I lost to all these kinds of players. Um, but the 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 secret here is that you have something to learn from those players number one, uh, and that helps you expand your game if you look at them respectfully and with admiration. They're doing stuff that maybe you ought to incorporate into your own game a little bit. And number two, uh, if you have an easy match, uh, you win 6-0-6-0 or even 1-1, uh, you know, it's satisfying in a way, but it's not as satisfying as winning four and four or six, four, seven, six, or even losing, you know, seven, five, five, seven, six, seven. Sure. That, that, that's a great match. That's a great match. You were part of a great match. So, so I think the, the mindset switch for all of us uh, has to be, I want my opponent to play at the best of his or her ability because that is what's going to bring out the best of my ability. Mm. We together then to create this incredible tennis experience, you know, the both of us or the four of us in doubles. Um, so we don't wish for our opponent to double fault, <laughs> right? We, we don't want our opponent to, to shank the shot. We want our opponent to hit a, a really good serve so that we have to make a really good return. That has to be your attitude um, to have, that's the mentally strong attitude, never wishing for an easy point or an easy stroke, uh, assuming all strokes are difficult, all opponents are difficult. I mean, the funniest thing I get asked by new players to the team when we're getting to the interscholastic part of the season, we've had a few weeks of practice and you know, intra-squad matches, we've gotten our rankings set and all of that. And then we get the schedule, and it's like, uh, so the team we're playing tomorrow, are they any good? Are they a tough team? <laughs> and I laugh, and I, my response is, all teams are tough. Every opponent is tough. Every game is tough. Every point is tough. Every stroke you face is tough. <laughs> have mentality, and you will go far in tennis, and you'll have a much better time win or lose, if you've got that mentality that everything's going to be tough, that's why I'm playing. I love it. I love that mentality, Coach Pete. And I can't say I've heard it articulated better than that before. So I, I really appreciate your your insights there. Uh, we'd love to start wrapping things up here. And something you brought up uh, earlier, probably about halfway through our conversation, I, I'd really love to come back to and touch on because I think it's a critical mindset and a critical attitude that great competitors have. And you use the phrase, and in the book, you, you reference a particular player, which I, I think everybody understands immediately as being the best example of this attitude. And that mm -hmm. attitude is all points are, are big points. Uh, who yeah. is that, that player that you reference in the book and why, why do you feel that's so important? Well, it's Rafa Nadal, and I, I have him on the cover of the book um, because I think he and, and Federer, to me, um, exemplify best what compete, learn, and honor uh, is all about. Um, every He doesn't take any time off. There are, there are no easy points. There are no um, gimme points. There are no points on which you can relax. Uh, everything is match point. Uh, and it's, it's important for helping you maintain your focus uh, to do that. It's very difficult to do physically and mentally uh, to believe and act 
as if all points are big points. Uh, I encourage players to try that. Uh, try it just for a game to really, really feel that. Approach every point with, as, as if it had uh, the same value. Obviously, it doesn't. Not all points have the same point value um, in, in, a, in a larger sense. Obviously, match point is the most important point of the match. Game points, set points. So they, they have a different function in the overall flow of a match. But all points, think, believing that all points are big points keeps you focused. Uh, it reset, it helps you reset, gets you back into the present. The point, the most important point we're going to play is the one we're playing right now. The one we're just about to start, not the previous point, not the point after this, this point. Um, and the other thing it does is it, it allows you to take advantage of momentum. The, the beautiful, one of the many beautiful things about tennis is you just never know when a match is going to turn. And, you know, in any sport, in any sport uh, after the match is over, the game is over, there's always commentary about, well, it really turned when this thing happened, this thing happened. Uh, and in tennis, the turning point of a match can be any point in the match. You never know when what you did on that point to your opponent makes your opponent feel the pressure. It could be the very first point of the match. It could be the very last point of the match. It could be somewhere in between. But you never know. It's always, uh, it's there. There is a turning point in every match. You want to be open and ready for it. And I think Nadal just, uh, he, he resets, he gets to the present, he respects every point, he respects every opponent, um, he respects the challenge. And he truly, he, he's even said himself that the most important thing is not winning or losing. The most important thing is enjoying the work, enjoying the challenge and improving as a player and as a person. And, you know, that's the most important thing of all. He said that. That's why he's on the cover of my book. Awesome. Excellent stuff, Coach Pete. Really enjoyed this conversation tremendously. Are there any main themes or concepts or philosophies in the book that we have not touched on that you, you think are really important for people to hear or or, or be aware of? Well, I, there's, there's one quick one that we use, um, a very tangible thing, uh, the excuse box. And we, we in earlier in our conversation, we kind of touched on it in, in the pusher conversation. Yeah. Uh, people make all sources of, of excuses, uh, whether it's the wind or the style of play or singles players playing doubles and saying, you know, I don't really play doubles. Uh, that kind of thing. Um, we, one year I got so irritated at the excuses that my guides were coming up with that I, I brought a box from home and I wrote excuse box on it, stuck it in the court and asked them to write their excuses down on a piece of paper, crumble them up and throw them into the box. And then we put the box in the court. Because the tennis court should be an oasis from excuses, right? Hmm. Winners are those who take responsibility, not necessarily those who win the most sets or games. So we did the excuse box. They liked it. And at one point, one of the guys said, uh, looked at the box and he said, coach, I got more excuses than are going to fit in that little box. <laughs> you know, so I got a bigger box. <laughs> and now sometimes the players sit in the box or they stand in the box and it has become a, the players say it to each other, talk about making it a habit. They, the players hear other players saying excuses and they'll say, uh, that sounds like an excuse box thing. You got to get into the excuse box. So awesome. I would say that all the listeners out there, um, maybe you don't want to do it physically, but mentally have your own little excuse box and do it physically. If you have a sense of humor, uh, bring a little box to the court. And if you're feeling particularly lousy that day or on changeovers, if it isn't going right, write down an excuse or if you want to just mentally crumble it up, crumble it up mentally, throw it into the box, get rid of it, and get back to the present and loving the game. Love it. 
Yeah, the picture in the book is is hilarious of the players sitting in the uh, the excuse box. It's funny, but yeah. it's also there's a um, kind of connecting it to real life. You know, taking it out of the mind and bringing it into real, bringing it kind of to the light of real life. I think can really be helpful for people to uh, to visualize that. That's that's right. It it, it works and uh, it lightens up the tension and it and it communicates <laughs> at the same time. Well, Coach Pete, it's been a pleasure. Can you please tell our listeners where where is the best place to learn more about you and where is the best place to pick up a copy of Mental and Emotional Training for Tennis? Uh, they can get copies of the book on Amazon and at CoachesChoice.com, the publisher. Um, my background uh, is a lot of it's in, in the book, on the cover, on the Amazon page. And they can find out more at my uh, USPTAPro.com uh, website, Peter Scales. Awesome. Is that uh, PeterScales.com? Uh, USPTAPro.com and then search for Peter Scales. That's the easiest gotcha. way to do it. Yeah. All right, gotcha. Okay, excellent. Uh, well, thank you again for your time, Coach. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you for your insights. Your your players are incredibly lucky to to have you. And I'm sure my listeners have really appreciated your, your thoughts and your insights as well. Highly recommend everybody listening that you go pick up a copy of the book. I've enjoyed reading through it very much. And Coach Pete, thanks again for your time. And uh, best of luck with, with the book and your coaching and everything else you're pursuing. Well, thanks a lot, Ian. Uh, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. And uh, keep up all the great work you're doing. I, I look forward to seeing stuff from EssentialTennis.com every day. For more free, game-improving instruction, be sure to check out EssentialTennis.com, where you'll find hundreds of video, audio, and written lessons. Also, be sure to subscribe to Essential Tennis on iTunes and YouTube, where we are the number one resource in the world, providing passionate instruction for passionate tennis players. Thank you so much for listening today. Take care, and good luck with your tennis.